Hello and welcome to China on the Rocks. My name is Logan. I'm here with my awesome, fantastic co-host. Hi, I'm Anna. And we got a special guest. Oh my goodness, guys! We've got a writer from Playgirl. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> we are here with Alan. Alan,、uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, and tell us what you're going to do today, my friend. Well, you know, I'm a journalist here in、um, in China. Been here for about 13 years,、uh, but actually, I first came here、uh, back in the late 80s. You know, and I've been coming back and forth, but I've pretty much made it my home the last、uh, dozen years. Originally from、uh, Brooklyn, I always tell people not New York, from Brooklyn.、Uh, and、um, So yeah, I,、uh, I'm really excited to meet the we'll meet you, Anna and、uh, Logan. We've been friends for quite a while now, and、uh, I, I got I got to say that、um, I don't know a whole lot about you guys, especially you, Logan. You know, like I'm a mystery. You, you are a mystery. You know, I I, I go to your.、Uh... You know, I'm a, I'm from Elizabeth, actually, New Jersey. Are you? I was that's where I was born. So right outside of Brooklyn. Oh, founding, confounding. I feel so sorry for you then. I feel so sorry for you. But... Jersey, Jersey people. Well, do not kill him. No, well, I went to law school in New Jersey in, in Rutgers, and Newark, and、uh, you know, you know, you know, it's only you said you told like you know, if you have nothing good to say, say nothing. I have nothing good to say about Newark, so I'm not gonna say anything. Whoa! Shots fired. Everybody from New Jersey, I love you. I'm exit 13A, Elizabeth. No, I'm just talking. New, New Jersey is great.、Uh, we're gonna be murdered. And also,、uh, Brooklyn is the home of most of well, a lot of cocktails. Not most, but a lot of classic cocktails. There's a big cocktail culture. It's a big bar culture. So, hey, let's put it all together. Well, let's see what we do, Anna.、Uh, let's start with our favorite thing in the world: a shot. And、oh. this week we are drinking Jing Bean because suppliers still won't give me Jameson. <laughs> so, Jim Bean for the win, gang. Cheers. 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 Really, oh, Jim B. Oh, this is good. Oh,、uh, uh, wow! And cheers for you at home as well. That's drinking with us. Thank you. So the part that we're missing is that Alan is here to actually interview us. So we're going to give him control over the podcast. We're going to hand him the reins, and he will do with us as he pleases. <laughs> yeah, we figured this is a good way for everybody to get to know us a little bit as we're doing a reboot of Trying on the Rocks. Yeah, well, in this case, you know,、uh, the master has become the slave, Serv- and, servants, and the slave has become the master. So now I'm the, I'm the master today. So yeah, I mean, I, I guess first is、uh, how do you guys end up in、uh, in Shanghai or China?、Um, murder. Besides murder, <laughs> let, 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 let's start with you.、Um, no, let's start with Anna because it was a murder. Oh, okay.、Uh, my story is not that complicated. I was working for many years in Hong Kong in the Hong Kong bar scene. And、uh, I was looking for the next chapter. I think the, like many other big big cities, it was getting a little too expensive and too saturated, and there was too much going on. And Shanghai was blowing up back then. It was just the right time to get on the ground, like running. So I decided to come here. I first came and I worked for a Michelin star chef called Paul Perret. Oh yes. I worked with him for a while. That his restaurant ended up closing, and then I joined the Shangri-La hotels.、Uh, I stayed there for a while, mostly with the goal to save money and then open this place because I had this bar. This place called Postal. Yeah, Postal. Amazing. I had this place in mind since the time that I moved to China because I thought that Shanghai needed a place like this, and I didn't see any comparable thing in the market, and I just needed to. Again, save up some money, do some corporate work, and then make this a reality. And that's it. I'm here. When you were working for、uh, all Popperi and this hotel, I mean, were you just like serving drinks? Were you cooking? She was crying a lot. I did. <laughs> It's true, Logan. Stop it. <laughs>、uh, I was the bar manager for both places,、okay. so I was yeah in charge of menus, management training, a lot of paperwork in both places, a lot of office work too. But yeah. And how, how many years have you had this place? I would just open、uh, right after the lockdown, so ten months now, nine months now. Is it only nine months? Wow. Yeah, I know. I mean, how's it? I gotta ask you, how's it going? It's it's going.、Uh, we've been very fortunate to been in the green basically since we've opened, but the market hasn't fully recovered. And I think in the beginning were all the regulations, and then. Now that the borders are open and the COVID is officially over, there's too many people traveling. 
that was the mass exodus. Everybody left China. Everybody's like, bye after that, uh, after that lockdown, I'm done. And then we also had all the people there still staying here, but they decided this summer, since it's been three years of, well, actually almost four years of closed borders, they're like, I'm out of here. I'm going to Thailand. I'll see you guys later. So businesses is up and down, but it's, I, I can't complain. We're, we're surviving. We're doing fine. And we definitely build a brand and a vibe and an ethos. And uh, yeah. It, this is my first time here. And I got to tell you, it's a very cool vibe. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what, what the vibe is. Is it like a, more like a dive bar? <laughs> is it like a neighborhood? Oh, there's a very specific name for this kind of bar. Anna? Oh, I don't know if that's the name you're looking for, but we call it a dive chic. D dive dive chic chic yeah why is that because it's we're basically we're divey we're street art we are rock and roll but we serve craft cocktails of high quality ingredients and fresh ingredients so it's basically inspired by brooklyn new york really why brooklyn because brooklyn, brooklyn has sucks. a lot of bars <laughs> brooklyn has a lot of bars with this vibe has a lot of this really casual little holes in the walls full of art where you go there and they make you the best manhattan you've ever had yeah that's very true like make Brooklyn great again. It says, it says the guy who wears extra tight jeans all the time. Hey, I'm just big. Okay. <laughs> oh, is that it? That's orange three. So if I come here for first time and I, and I ask the bartender, like, you know, pull me a drink, what would you recommend? What, what, what would blow me away here? We are very known for the classics. I think it's because I worked for many years in places that really value the quality of ingredients. So probably Manhattan's Old Fashions, Whiskey Sours, we're extremely known for it, but don't tell anyone because we hate making them, <laughs> especially when we're saying This is where you go for Ramus Fizz. Ramus yeah. Gin Fizz is your spot at Post No Bills. Is that right? On Booting Road. Oh, please don't. Post No we Bills. Do, we do have our own signature drinks that I think they're pretty great and everybody likes it, but I think that our big differential is that we make really high quality classics with really good products and an affordable price. Okay, this is going to be my... Uh... Favorite new place starting from today. And how about how about you? Um, like what 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 took you to uh, Shanghai? What took me to Shanghai is a very interesting story involving uh, very fun stuff. How much time do we have? Because I was running a place in Sh in San Francisco called uh, Shanghai 1930. So so that's where you got the idea of eventually coming over here. He's pink brainwashed. <laughs> <laughs> I was Manchurian kid. Wait, I mean, did you have friends in in Shanghai? Like. Or was it just like who has friends in Shanghai till you get to Shanghai? Then you have the best friends in the world. So you just came out on your own and you just found your way. Is that I was brought out here to run a place during Expo of 2010. I've talked about this before, but it I was brought out here. So listeners, um, you know the story. I was brought out here for Shanghai 1930. It was a Chinese restaurant run in the downtown Mission area, almost not Mission area, but almost. Um, Shoot, uh, Stewart Street, Stewart. Uh, so basically, if you ever watched the movie Indiana Jones and the the best Indiana Jones, basically, which we discussed the other day, Indiana Jones was short round. Yes, that's right, for sure. The opening scene looked like that bar. I had wow. a, a male cheapow, and I was gangster as fudge. Um, so basically, I was running this place. It was a jazz club. We had all the best bands from Oakland. And they would perform it there. We had $25 Shaolong Bao. We had $15 Hargao. So it was Shanghainese, but still there was a lot of Cantonese elements. We opened a place called The Strip here in Shanghai, Shang uh, where Highline is now. And um, they wanted an American to be there to be a consultant. Just because it was that time in 2010. I came over, found love with China, and I've never left. Uh, How did you end up... Uh opening up a Mexican restaurant. And I, I didn't notice, but your grandmother is originally from Mexico, right? Your abuela? From New Mexico. New Mexico. I am New Mexico. <laughs> we smell better than old Mexico. So, so you're New Mexico. Boom. I love it. So nobody can see Anna's face right now when I just said that, but it's a very New Mexico joke. I had the biggest cringe face. I was like, what? Anna is Brazilian. And that was a, that was a New Mexico joke. Uh, I made the idea to have a taco restaurant very, very drunk at a bar called The Rooster, where I've had most of my ideas. I know The Rooster. Yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't? Yeah, so Roosters are a local watering hole. If I'm not at Post No Bills, I'm at Rooster. But normally I'm at Post No Bills. Yeah, I, I'm pretty much the same with me, too. I was at Rooster yesterday, even. <laughs> well, you guys should, should go there on Thursday nights because they, have a, they do a fun run, a 5K every Thursday night. 
I did one uh, two weeks ago in uh, 100 degree weather. I think you saw the photos, right? Yeah. Yeah, I I, I still haven't recovered. <laughs> yeah, that, that photo of you was epic, though. Respect, that photo was epic. But the the Mexican restaurant. Um... So I had an idea. I've always wanted to do a taco restaurant. I don't know why I wanted to do a taco restaurant. In New Mexico, we don't do a lot of tacos. But I've always wanted to do a taco restaurant. I was very fortunate. Uh, one of my best friends in the world, Dice Umans, uh, was my chef over at Taco uh, Logan's Punch, and we were in the position where we can make food. Uh, making food is not a light uh, opportunity. Making food brings a lot of value to a lot of people, and I think there's a lot of weight to it. And we were in a very, very fortunate position where Dice can make food. I can make dirty jokes, and like that's about it. Dice can make food. So Dice and... Uh, probably the most awesome person I know, Syrah, literally just came through and like, oh yeah, we could do tacos. And we had this idea. I got very, very lucky. My friend Brad was like, Logan, I have a restaurant if you want it. And I said, yes, I, I definitely want it. I had owned a bar at this point and this was the next step. And um, how do you stay fresh and creative? I, I say it just because, you know, I come from a family that owned a, uh, Bars and restaurants too, mostly mostly restaurants, Chinese American restaurants. Uh, the first one, I, I always tell people, the first Chinese American restaurant in Brooklyn. Uh, I don't know if it's true or not, <laughs> but but, but uh, we we were fancy. We used to, we used to we used to like serve wine with Chinese food. This is like nineteen nineteen sixty. Why don't you do that again, man? I would totally. Pay well, well, that's, that's the thing about it is that I would you know, I think that time has passed. But what what I remember was how hard it was for my 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 parents to run his restaurant, and it was just a, a day a day in day out. Thing, but they loved it. Uh, they love running a restaurant, even even when we're basically breaking even in the end. Um, I mean, what what keeps you going? What keeps you inspired running this restaurant? Uh, let's let's go with Anna first, then I'll go second. Okay. Uh, I suffer a lot with burnout, so actually this time I'm having a hard time being creative. I think because when you start, you kind of don't calculate how much of your energy it's going to take, right? So you start strong. You start, you put all your ideas, you do everything that you want to do, and then you put your, you eat, sleep, and you are here. And that's all you do, right? And all you do is have new idea for events, new idea for marketing, new idea for branding, new idea for menus, new idea for food, and you're constantly working those juices and gets to a point that you just burn out. And now I'm finding it really hard. I've been procrastinating on this new menu for like six months, and it's because I open the page and it's blank. I just can't think of anything new or creative or innovative. I think that you set your bar very high for yourself, too. You kind of need to top your previous creation. So the new menu has to be better than the old one, but now I'm burned out, so... Are you here every day? Uh, mostly, yeah. I started taking days off now. I start closing on Mondays, and uh, it's been great for my mental health. I am burning out a little less. I'm recovering a bit, and I'm just hoping to get that second wind, but... It is hard. I think that it's because it you it has to be your passion. Yes, it has to be something that you love, and you wake up every day is like a relationship. You're gonna you decide every day that you're gonna work for it. I I remember uh, when we decided to close our restaurant after four years. Uh, I mean, it was a four, four years. Four, wow, four zero. Yep. And my, wow. my mother. The reason why we did it was because my mom had a massive heart attack. And I remember she was in the hospital, laid up, and she just wanted to keep it going. <laughs> She's like, "When I when I'm out of here, I'm like." I would go back, and it, it wasn't about the money or anything like that. Or I mean, we're all all the kids were adults already, but she just felt that um, it was so much part of her, part of her life of who she was, part of her community. Sure. I mean, her customers became her friends, became her family, um, and she just felt that you know um, she just wanted to continue serving them until you know, the very end. And I, I I couldn't, and for for me and for the rest of our siblings, we just didn't see it that way. We just saw it as as a business. But I think that's what kept her going. That's why I asked you guys, like, well, how do you how do you keep? I think a restaurant or, or a bar is a love letter to your community, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of us we put our heart into it. Like, if you're a waiter, obviously you could burn out and leave. But if you're the owner, and you're there, like, it's different than an owner like a corporate place, right? Uh, much different. But if you're the owner and you're there on the scene, it's a love letter. You're taking, you're sacrificing your. You're sacrificing your time. You're sacrificing your energy, and you know what? Your mental well-being sometimes just to make sure everybody else is happy with something. You make sure 
with your heart is tasty right or you know and uh and you can i think it's only sustainable and you can only do this business for so long if you really love it even the days that you hate it you still love it it's like oh the days that i'm dreading coming to this place but then i realize how much i still love this place and also you go through you go through all the range of emotions you get guilty that you're not doing enough you burn out because you're doing too much you you go through everything and it's uh yeah it's like being in a relationship it's love hate yeah Sometimes it's a lot more hate than love. Yeah, this uh, this is like dating Taylor Swift. <laughs> yeah, except that she's making the fourteen uh, was it fourteen million dollars, hundred forty million dollars every concert. So crazy number. Uh, I, I just want to digress a little. I could tame that horse, Taylor Swift. Just let you know, I could tame that horse. No, just to digress a little bit. Um, for the listeners out there, I mean, are they mainly um, in China? Are they overseas? Like, weirdly enough, they're all in Florida. Are they? Okay, they're really in Florida. Okay. So, so I, I guess this. this now, I have the statistics. We use rssv.com. Okay. And uh, I, I really have the statistic, statistics for it. They're all in Florida. Okay. I, that, you know, well, maybe, maybe we'll ask a Florida question. Like, uh, you know, are, are the Marlins going to go to the playoffs this year or something? Yeah. <laughs> the Marlins, I hope, are going to the playoffs this year. No. Not against my Giants. No. But seriously, uh, I guess maybe this, this question is for me then. Um, favorite bars or restaurants in Shanghai? And just maybe one or two. Okay. Just, just for people like me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have a hard time because I literally don't go anywhere else. <laughs> I am usually here or I'll go see Logan at Tacalicious or I'll pop by Rooster for a beer. And that's about my life right now. But I guess if I look back at places that I used to go a lot, I really like, it's an older bar here. I really like Senator Saloon. It's a great date spot. I think I had dates there with my boyfriend I think it's a place that I connected with that I like it's dark it's cozy has that like cocktail bar feel they make great classics as well I think that would be one and hmm would be another one I'll think about it Logan you can give one of yours okay so for me the question and this is I've been a bartender now for almost 30 years uh, I'm only 42 do the math guys uh that's fine. I, I have no problems with when we're in China. Yeah, for it. <laughs> Alan, Alan, uh... I have 50 years experience. Yeah. I'm only 32. <laughs> well, I've got 100 years experience because I believe reincarnation. I'm, I've, I've come back as the same person. Okay. Well, this is the new part of our podcast. Damn, I'm 33. I've got my age wrong. You're 33? <laughs> yes. Wow, I'm so much older than you. <laughs> uh, so for me, when I go to other bars that aren't like... I go to post on bills. Like, that's not a joke. I go here almost three times a week. Because uh, it's right next to my house. Uh, Anna's a great friend of mine. But generally, if I go to other bars and this is where it's going to be like a little preachy, I feel like I'm at work. Because people are asking me, oh, try this or do that. And it's like, no, I just want to get, you know, drunk with my friends. I don't want to be the center of the tension. Uh, when you're a bartender that's known, it's very, very cool and you're very lucky and very fortunate. But it's also like, I just wanted some time to have a drink at a bar that I've never been at. And I don't want people asking me their opinions sometimes. So I generally try not to go to bars too much, which is a dumb thing. But I like I generally try to go to my friend's bars, so I'd just be treated normally. Yeah, I think I, I kind of agree, but I have a couple in mind actually that popped up that I also really like. I really like Swap. So it's a, it's a French natural wine bar. Um, the wines are great, they're funky, they're weird, and everybody there is very knowledgeable, but also the food is amazing. It's very like French bistro type of food. And I think sometimes we kind of just miss the European vibe or the European flavor, and I think that they do it really well. And I really like Hannery. I really like the oh. events that they do, and they have, um, they're dog friendly. They do a lot of, uh, they have a park in front of their, like a, a yard, a big yard in front of their restaurant, and it's good for dogs. They do picnics. Uh, Mark is lovely. Mark is the owner of Canada. Yeah, he's one of the nicest people. Michael is an incredible bartender that makes great drinks. Uh, yeah, Michael Chan. And uh, the whole place is just like a vibe and it's good and it's nice. It's not the cheapest, but the quality is so worth it. You never leave. Even if you have a big bill, you don't leave. Like you've, you've been you're fed. You're fed, fed and you feel and you're good. happy. Yeah. And it's totally like for the quality, it's totally worth the price you paid. Yep. I agree. And how about uh, trends in F&B? What are the latest uh, F&B trends in, in Shanghai? I, I, I guess I'm asking just because the trends 
do, do you guys get trends from overseas or do you export trends? And I'm thinking about this one bar that uh, I wrote about recently called The Savory Project. Have you guys heard of this? I did a little research <laughs> when you sent us the question. So yes, but not in depth. You can explain a little bit for our listeners as well. I, I haven't been, but it, it's a little, it's, a, it's an interesting concept because the uh, the owners, the, they don't, they, um, so they open this bar and they don't really drink. They don't like alcohol. And the drinks uh, taste like food, you know? They'll they'll make drinks that taste like uh, I don't know beef bourguignon. Oh really? I mean, and, and yeah, and there's no alcohol in, in the drinks. You know, some of the drinks. So uh, beef stock. Yes, yes, these beef stock. So it's interesting. I I don't know what to think of it. I was wondering, like, would something like that work here in Shanghai? <laughs> Uh, I think that anything that's different and new and kind of a novelty would work in Shanghai. People here really like new things. I don't know long-term sustainability of it. In the sense that I like savory cocktails, I'm not mad at it, but uh, I think that if I'm just having different soups in a glass, I don't know how I feel. A consomme. A consomme, yeah. I mean, I have no idea exactly how they're made, so I don't want to knock until I try it, you know, but... It sounds, I mean, there was a whole trend going on when, um, was it Campbell or one of these brands created this stocks that came in boxes. So you could get like a whole Tom Yum or a whole pho or something in a, in a carton and it's like a, like a liter carton and people were making cocktails with it all over the U.S. It was kind of an ongoing meme, like a joke. Like a Tom Yum margarita or something. Pina colada. Yeah. Somebody did that. I don't know who was Daniel. Yeah. But the thing is, was that you? No, Daniel Ann. Oh, okay. It's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. It's no, but that's the thing. Like, I think a lot of food is already incorporated into drinks. I think we use a lot of techniques from pastry chefs. I think we use a lot of savory techniques. Like, we do a lot of stuff like tomato waters or, like, consommes or even infusing meats or fat washing. And so I don't think it's that strange of a concept to have savory dishes as part of a cocktail. I have played around with it as well in the past. And... Uh, I'm all right. I don't know how I feel to have a whole bar without alcohol and everything is basically a consomme. That's the part that I'm like, hmm, would I have more than one? Would I just go for the novelty? Yeah. Is it is it sessionable? Yeah. I'll go, I'll try, and then that's it. I'm not going to get my friends and be like, hey, let's go to that soup place. <laughs> but I tell you what, you know, uh, they're able to charge a lot of money for, uh, for this kind of stuff. Speaking of money, I'm a pretty cheap date. I went to Flair, you know, the bar up in... Uh, the Ritz Carlton, the fancy, fancy. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, especially when uh, you know I'm taking like uh, you know clients out to meetings, so I, I don't worry too. Play girl does a lot of uh, client meetings, a lot of business. It's why, my goddamn it, Screw Screw Magazine. <laughs> Do you remember Screw Magazine, Larry Flint? Yeah, what was? Yeah, no, no, it wasn't Larry Flint. It was a. Uh, was it Al Goldstein? Oh, it was Hustler. Wait. Hustler was yeah. Larry Floyd. Yeah. Okay. Okay, guys, by the way, Alan doesn't actually work for Playgirl magazine, but we're yeah. not going to mention the no. publication he works for, but it's a very reputable publication, and it's not Playgirl. It's a reputable pu- It's definitely not Screw either. It's, 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 I'm, uh, it's a very reputable, reputable publication, but I'm not very reputable. That's the, that's the problem. When you see Logan's over 40, when he knows Alan Goldstein's name. But, uh, you know, I, I will say I'm a pretty cheap date, and I ordered a drink, and it's like 200 RMB. Too much. Thirty dollars. Too much. It's too much. Well, is it? You know, that, that's the thing about um, that is somebody but... being a jerk. Uh, there, there's no reason a drink costs thirty dollars. Well, when I worked in hotels, uh, there are a few, a few things the hotels do about the pricing. So one, uh, they want to keep this prestige or being fancy, and they think that price equals value in a way. So they think that if something is expensive because it's good, even though they use the same. Rail is everybody else in town, so there's nothing special, right? For the listener at home, rail is just your uh, well cocktails. So well being um, the simple stuff that a bartender could grab, like an absolute or Smirnoff or vodka. A gin could be something like a... Um, Beef eater or Gordon's to certain places. That's, that's the rail. It's generally by the person's hip. Yeah, it's like the speed rail. And usually those are your house spirits. So that's what you, if somebody just asks for a gin and tonic and doesn't specify, you grab the one on your rail. Uh, but they, they use the same average thing. So one is the value. But the second thing as well is that for hotels, food and beverages, unless they have a really solid program, is usually a secondary form of income and they don't have an extremely high volume. And a lot of the people that are staying in the hotel are kind of stuck with what they have there anyway. 
So they kind of want to make a higher revenue by selling five drinks versus having to work towards selling 20. Can I tell the murder story? <laughs> sure, you can tell the murder do you know, story. Do you know the story I'm talking about? I know. It's when I worked at the Shangri-La. My wonderful, beautiful best friend, Anna, worked at Shangri-La. 415. What's it called? 415? 1515. Where's this? Here. Uh, it's, uh, it's that building that looks like... Uh, Penguin's penis. It's right across from Pudong. And no, no, right off the Jinga. I'm pointing at it, yep. I think. Yep. Uh, Anna was the best bar manager. Now, I've known Anna at this point for how many years? Two years, three years at that point? At that point, yeah. Uh, Anna's been a friend of mine for a long time, a close friend for, my, for me for a long time. Uh, I had a friend that was staying at the hotel. A VIP guest, by the way. A VIP guest, because I don't roll I don't roll with the small potatoes. And uh, the hotel manager and somebody else came up to him and said, anything you need, we will take care of for you. In this hotel, you cannot go to jail. Instantly sparked an idea in my mind. Because I was like, well, that doesn't seem By right. By the way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call out because he's a very good friend of mine. He was actually my FMB, assistant FMB director, uh, Marco Charal. He's now in, I think he's in Thailand now. Uh, so he, had, he has a really good dark sense of humor. So I know... For a fact that he probably said something like that. He probably shook his hand and said, don't worry, in this hotel we're not going to go to jail. But he didn't know who he was talking to, obviously. So we called this uh, guy, Marco, and his good friend that's in Thailand right now that uh, probably has a good sense of humor and didn't know what he was talking about. We called this guy at 2 a.m. and said, hey, there's a lot of blood here in the room. We don't know what to do, but can you get a, a, a hefty bag and scissors? And the first thing he does is say, Yes, we got you. <laughs> and then That's service. That was it was great service. Uh, and I was like, also we need the, the the bartender Anna. She has to come over and make us vespers while we do this. And bring a bottle of whiskey. Yeah, and bring a bottle of whiskey. Everything was done. Good job at the uh, Shangri La Hotel. I had to open the bar in the middle of the night to grab a bottle of whiskey to deliver to the guys from in room dining for them to deliver to the room because they didn't want the the cheap whiskey that the in the room dining had it. They want something nice from the bar. And I had to unlock the bar to grab this bottle. And then the next day I found out that... It was just us. You know, then I found out that they were drunk and they dropped the whole bottle. So they didn't even drink the bottle. No. <laughs> or the murder. The murder never happened, by the way. Oh, okay. I was waiting for the... It was, it was a fake murder. Like, mm -hmm. we just wanted to see what, what happened at the hotel. But you didn't know it was a fake murder, right? You didn't... No, I mean, I know them. I knew. <laughs> I didn't go It was either. a fake murder. I, I, just, I would hope you knew it was a fake murder. I knew. I think I also think that Mark knew as well. But I just delivered. I didn't even go upstairs. I just delivered the bottle to the Ingram dining. And I mean, I'm going to bed. <laughs> Speaking of ridiculous stories, I want to hear something. Your, your, your ridiculous stories uh, being drunk. Any embarrassing stories you can share? Look, I'll go first. I don't even know. I can tell you the story about the cake and mint. All right, mint. I like mint. How is the story? Mint was like the go-to uh, nightclub a few years back. So I was the club barbender at mint. I've talked about this story before on the podcast, but I've gotten better at telling the story. We had a very special little person named Vidge. He was a, uh, he, he's an Indian man. He's amazing. Love the guy. He is a tech guy, and he made a lot of money in tech. And at Mint, which was the number one nightclub in China at the time, when I was the club bar manager, uh, no self-promotion there, uh, he was uh, always showing up. So let me just give a background on Mint. Imagine a massive nightclub that has, like, tanks, water tanks all over the walls filled with sharks. You literally walk in and you walk by sharks inside that by this. The, basically, the entire walls are aquariums and they had sharks. There are sharks. It was, I always felt kind of bad for those sharks, but also it was really cool. Just in a visual matter of those, just have sharks going around the walls. It was, it was very baller. That's my point. It was very cool. So Vish um, is a little person. Unfortunately, uh, he used to always show up with models. So you see two gorgeous, like, Brazilian girls or, like, a, like, like Anna. Like Anna. Aww. Like, you'd see these tall women, and then you'd see a little hand that pop up and ask for martinis. Coolest person I ever met. 
So one night after we closed the bar, so we closed the bar about three or four in the morning. Uh, and when bars close anywhere in the world, doesn't have to be China, could be Milwaukee. Uh, talking to you people in Milwaukee. Uh, people are still, you still have that energy. You're not going to sleep right away. All your coworkers, everybody's still there for a little bit. So you got about two hours of uh, downtown, uh, downtime. So um, Vidge is there, and there happens to be a seven-layer cake, which I have all the pictures for for Instagram, um, a seven-layer cake that somebody had a birthday for. So Mint was a club that generally made about two or 300,000 U.S. to get a night. Wow. Nuts. That's nuts. Absolutely yeah. crazy. Fun, fun, fun times. Best times of my life. Um, so we're, we uh, have this seven-layer cake. The IEs, that means the uh, cleaning ladies, are walking with this cake. Accidentally drop it on my little person friend. No. Yeah. Oh, my God. Did it worry him? Think he's dead. Wow. Seven-layer cake on a two-layer person. We think he is dead. That might be the smartest thing I've ever said. I'm not deleting that. Did he survive? He pops up. Vidge, if you're listening, which I know you are, he pops up with a high five. It's the best cake fight I've ever been in my life. Mint the nightclub. Sharks are covered in cake frosting. We had such a good time with this cake fight. Everybody's blasted drunk. Everybody's blasted drunk, covered in cake with a little person that survived a cake falling on them. A cake collapse. A uh, yeah, cake apocalypse. Oh, you beat me to it. Did you were going for it? I was going for it. <laughs> Did me one better. No, no, I don't have it. That was the one. That, that's all I had. Yeah, okay. that's all I had. That was the missed opportunity there. So, so you're uh, you're pretty sober most of the time. Is that is that is that what you're saying? You like? No, I'm just a very high functional drunk. I'm one of those drunk people that people don't really realize I'm drunk, and then I tell them, okay, I suffer from anxiety and like the like you know what the Irish call like the fear the next day. So if I get really drunk the next day, I wake up and I start texting people, did I do something wrong? Are you mad at me? <laughs> did I embarrass myself? Usually not. I actually have. I was thinking. I was debating between two stories. Um, uh, one of them, okay, I'll, I'll, that's the first one that's going to be to my head. Funny enough, I was in San Francisco and um, a friend of mine that worked at a bar or something, she met the guys from LMFAO. And you remember the band? Red Foo? Like right when they were like, right yeah, yeah, like right when they were trending, like right when they were big. And I'm not a fan or anything. I'm sorry, it's not my, it was never my thing. It was a bit too clubby for me, but she Became friends with somebody from the crew and she got us all on the guest list for the VIP, like backstage, something for their concert. It was in Oakland. So then we went to Oakland together, me, her, and another friend. I have photos as well, but on this, it would be very embarrassing. Uh, we go to the backstage, we're all drinking, there's the whole concert, and then they put us in this party bus to go to San Francisco, which was perfect. So we got in this party bus with the whole crew and the band, we all drinking. And then we go to this nightclub and there is this VIP area all set up for us. And <laughs> I'm really lit at this point, okay? I'm like another level. And me and my friends started like dancing on top of a table. And they were doing champagne showers all over the place. So the table was wet. I slipped. And I collapsed so hard on the floor that the whole club stops. Oh, no. Everyone thought that I was dead. <laughs> no, 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 no. I it slipped. It was one of the biggest fall from Greece because I'm, I'm feeling myself. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm hot. I'm dancing on a nightclub table. They're champing showers over me. I was living my best life, and then I just, boom, straight to the ground. And I was in a lot of pain, but it was the moment to come up and be, I'm okay, I'm okay. Oh, you just kept on dancing and pretend like it was... Yeah, I stood up and I'm like, dance through the paint, pretend it's fine, nothing happened. And the next day I woke up with this black bruises all over me. Like, it's like I got ran over by a truck the night before. And uh, yeah, this always comes to mind as a stupid drunk thing because I know I'm too tall to be on top of tables anyway. <laughs> so I should not have been doing that. Uh, I just want to bring up something and I think it's very important for every bartender. The fear. The fear, yeah. 
the fear is when you get an island. I think it's you didn't bring this up, but I think it's a very important thing about this podcast. The fear is when you're surrounded by customers, everybody's yelling at you. I want 18 mojitos. I want six cosmopolitans. How do I do it? The fear is what bartenders become real bartenders. Oh, I was thinking about the fears in the Irish. How, how, over how, how do you um, how do you alleviate it? How do you, you do it. You don't have a choice. You just stay calm and just give them what they but want. But it takes a lot of time to learn how to do that. Yes, correct. It takes many years for you to be like people are yelling at you and you're just like, I'm not going to let this affect me and I'm just going to keep doing Because the moment you get flustered is the moment that you are not... You, this is the moment you slow down, right? It's when you get flustered when you stop when you get guilty that you're not doing it fast enough and you talk to people, I'm sorry. So you have to kind of just put on this invisible walls around you and just like, okay, one mojito, two mojitos, blah, blah, blah. How many you have to do it? You're just going to do it. You just put your head down when you do it. And you kind of just get desensitized of that. And then you just give them a smile like, sorry about the weight. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a horrible thing, but you have to learn how to deal with the fear. To be honest, I get so high volume now. Like on Fridays and Saturdays, this place is so chaotic. And I, first of all, first of all, promise. No, but I'm letting my my bartenders handle it, right? And they are still young, so they get uh, the young is in in the business, right? They're like baby bartenders, so they get flustered. <laughs> and I started becoming kind of mama bear to them, so I have given a lot of attitude to a lot of customers that were being like belligerent about it. They were like yelling at them, just being slow. And <laughs> one of these days, actually, this is so mean, but we were flustered. We were busy, and when. Young, when baby bartenders get busy, they become like headless chickens. They just start walking in circles and bumping into each other and not really doing anything and just like looking for this one lime that at this point doesn't matter. Put a fucking lime on it and move on. <laughs> and they'll be running around in circles and panic. And this guy's still yelling. And I jump in the bar. I start making all these drinks to catch up on her delays, basically. And a guy turns to me and says, clicks me in front of my face. Oh. Oh, no. Clicks me and says... Excuse me, I've been waiting for my whatever, for my whiskey sour. Then I turned around to him and said, oh, really? And I've been just here scratching my balls and doing nothing the whole time, right? I'm just here, like, not making your whiskey sour because I'd rather not. Or what do you think is happening here? And then the guy looked at me and was like, okay, I'm sorry. I just want to make sure you didn't forget. And I was like, no, it's on the line. It's on the queue. It's coming up. He didn't probably realize he was just being uh, super rude. Yeah, I know. He, I think he realized once I called him out, but I think he didn't expect me to call him out. He, he came from a very entitled place. And the moment I answered to him, he was like, oh, fuck, that's not my place. <laughs> Can I catch something, you know, uh, what are the odds of me going to some dive bar, uh, ordering some cheap drink, and uh, the next day uh, turning blind? I, I, I say it just because. I, so that's not going to happen in Shanghai. All these, if somebody says that, that's some dumb English teacher that, first of all, you're failing in your country, you're here. Uh, secondly, and I'm very shocked oh. about that. My other cringe face is coming back. <laughs> you're a failure. I just want you to know that. <laughs> Chad. I don't know anybody named Chad. Uh, so basically, there's so many restrictions here in Shanghai, China, that you're not going to get that. Uh, and the reason being, like, even when I worked in nightclubs, People would come every night to collect the bottles. Like the people that, uh, like for Kettle One, I could give you 100% uh, testimony. Uh, every night we had to sell a bottle of Kettle One. We had to sell 200 bottles of Kettle One or something like that, something crazy. And the reason we had to sell them was because that was part of our contract. So what we would do is hire high school kids to come in and drink. High school kids in China could drink at 18. Not the end of the world, Right. So they would come and drink, and we would give them free drink coupons. So they would have all the alcohol they could drink, and we would fulfill our contract, right? So there was no fake booze. But people would be like, oh, I drank 13 drinks. I got so drunk last night. It's like, well, bitch, you drank 13 drinks. Also, uh, I think the whole argument about fake alcohol, it is, again, in tidy towns, in small cities, maybe, the thing is that the cost of running a business in Shanghai, if you're going for just the, your, like, let's say if you Fuck are. you, Chad. <laughs> no, if you are on a, on a cheap budget, so let's say you're a dive bar, right? Um, a bottle of Stolich Neue, an example for like a cheap vodka, you can get for 
40 kwai. So 40 RMB is about what in US dollars? It's um uh divided by seven. So six dollars? Yeah, so five, six dollars, right? And you can make basically twenty something drinks, twenty, twenty-two drinks out of it, right? So there's a really good margin. So if you're just gonna go for affordable products, the risk of you selling fake alcohol, getting somebody blind and being sued for millions and going to jail, it's not really worth that extra too quiet that you might make on a drink. Well, that's good to know. Yeah, I don't know people that would really take this risk because fake alcohol, they still need to make some money. So let's say if you get a Stalin Shinoya for 40, you can get a cheaper, not so famous Russian vodka for probably 30. Why pay 20 for something fake that can get you in jail because the laws here are really enforced, right? That can get you into a lot of trouble. So I don't see why any place having the options to get from real suppliers, real things, or buy fake. I would even go secondhand on that and say, liquor companies, liquor companies pay us. They give us money. They literally say, okay, if you're uh, Absolute, which is Pernod Ricard, right? They will give you all your glassware. They will give you all your t-shirts, whatever it is, if you want to have an Absolute brand. So if you're an idiot, yes, you'll do that. Like not 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 uh, yeah. do real alcohol. You'll do fake alcohol. Yeah, and also um, it's cheaper because you get these kickbacks and these other things to buy from either the importer themselves, so like Bernard Ricard, or you buy from the sellers that they tell you to buy from because then you get all these things. If you're going to buy from a random person that's not a reputable distributor, you're not going to get any of the kickbacks. And if they are lying to you that the product is fake, the price difference is probably very small because they still need to give you that impression that it's real, right? So without your knowledge, let's say if I order Kettle One is like 100 something, 120. If I order Kettle One from a not reputable distributor, how much discount are they going to give me? If they give me for 80, I'm going to be very suspicious. I'm going to be, why? How did you get it? So I'm not going to trust that. But also it's from Diageo. If I buy from the original uh, Diageo distributor, I can also contact the and be like, hey, I've been selling a lot of Cattle One. These are the things I want from you. Given the fact that um, your clientele has sort of, uh, the mix has changed over, over the years, right? Because COVID, zero and all that. Uh, I think I've heard someone say that more Chinese, more local customers, right? That, that... Not, not, um, not so much for me. I think I still have a split on 70-30, so 70% being foreigners. Uh, I want to expand on my Chinese clientele. I think a lot of the Chinese people still don't get this concept. Like I mentioned, it was with something that the market didn't have. I brought this on when I kind of kickstarted this new concept, and I don't know if it's yet understood by them. Yeah, and that's my second part of the question, is that how do you educate um, people, uh, lo lo locals, just because it's not necessarily part of the, the freaking culture, right? You know, so how do you, um, as you try to sort of get more locals um, to um, to come to your bar, your restaurant, um, how do you get them to like ex experiment with some of these really cool cocktails and to get them to kind of pay the kind of price that it's going to cost in order to enjoy these kind of uh, cocktails? I think a lot of the people first uh, and foremost are going to be returnees. Returnees be people that went to college or uh, high school, whatever it is outside of uh, where they are. And then, uh, by the way, listeners, uh, Anna's pouring shots of Jam Beam, and she's not only pouring it for herself. I was, because he has a whiskey as well in front of him. So, oh, wrong. wrong. Yeah, wrong. wrong. <laughs> um, so, I think the returnees are clutch for this kind of stuff, because they're coming back and saying, oh, grandparents or parents, I want to introduce you to tacos, or I want to introduce you to whiskeys that I drank in college, which is a very interesting thing. What we're lucky for in China is people are very curious. We're not in another culture where people don't want to try things. This is a food and drink culture. If anything, they want to try new things all the time. We need to keep innovating. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, uh, I'm sorry, I, I would change my statistics then. The returnees, I kind of consider them foreigners in a way because I don't have a language barrier or a concept barrier with them. So it would be more 50-50 if you count the Chinese people they have going to college or high school or something in either Europe or um, the United States or something. 
but um, considering more of the local, local, the people born and raised here, a lot of them that don't speak any English, I have a hard time getting through the concepts because they understand cocktails, but they're expecting them to be 200 quiet, a fancy hotel. They're expecting it to be in a very fancy speakeasy style and cost a certain amount. So for them to understand that the place is casual, full of street art, kind of uh, in a good way messy, and we still are making those drinks kind of doesn't compute to them. So they see, they come here and they think it's going to be a place for beers and shots. And then they come and they're like, oh, have actual cocktails. And I think that what we sell here at Post is mostly a vibe. So it's about staff that wear casual clothes that come to your table. Then ask how your day is. That gets to know you. That makes you a, a, like a neighborhood person that becomes kind of like your friend. And I think with the language barrier, it's hard for me to do it with the local Chinese. And my staff is not used to that type of service. So I'm trying to train them to be more open to a group of Chinese come in and they're like, in Chinese, hey, what's up? How is your week going? By the way, I have some really cool drinks here. Let's try this. The music is blah, blah, blah. You can write on the walls if you want and so on. I mean, Alan, as a Chinese American, what do you see when you look at bars and restaurants? Uh, in Shanghai, you mean? Or in, or in your buttholes. Yeah, you're in Shanghai. In Shanghai. Or in general, in my butthole. Um, you, you know, like, for, for me, you know, I'm an American, right? So, yeah, I mean, so so, so for me, this this kind of place will be, yeah, a cool, casual place. Um, you know, and um, I mean, the concept is, for me, it'll be pretty easy to understand. Uh, and I like the fact that you're trying to make it into, like, a really friendly, cool neighborhood establishment. I think for a lot of locals, uh, especially those who are not returnees who haven't studied overseas, um, it's it's a little bit um, difficult to grasp. You know, because I, I I think is well, what, one thing one thing to me you don't seem to have to worry too much about is is money. <laughs> yeah, like like Chinese Chinese will pay for anything, but I, I think it has to sort of fit into a box. You understand what I mean? So I guess to take a box. Yeah, for, yeah, uh, correct. And I think that that's the problem because I'm mid-range on pricing and I'm mid-range on casual, casualness. So I'm not as casual as a as a like a dive bar or a sports bar, but I'm not as fancy as a fancy speakeasy, right? My prices are not as low as your dive bar with shittier products, and it's not as expensive as the fancy places. Products, not like, shittier products, different products. I know some places that have some. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm just thinking sponsorship. No, but I'm not talking about the people that we work with. I'm talking about bra 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 vodka from uh, Siberia or something that caught the, the thing that I was telling you guys before that cost a thirty quai kind of thing, right? Or the the Gordon's jeans type of thing, like which again, there's a, there's a space in the market for that. But I'm trying to make like things that are quality. Some some of them are affordable. So things like Jameson is very affordable and it is quality. Uh, things like that, I like to maintain and support, but I also have a lot of more high-end things. Like my house bourbon is Buffalo Trace. So, like, it's things I'm doing for an affordable price. How many buffaloes die for that trace? I know, right? <laughs> but but how, how do you figure out, like, what to source and what you want to order? I mean, do you need to try everything? Or is, is it word of mouth? How do you... I think by now we have a knowledge of most of the things out there. And Literally um... professional bartenders. <laughs> yeah, but we also have open-minded to new craft products. But, yeah, generally we just, we know what we like and we try to get more people to enjoy and have the opportunity to try for an affordable price. Favorite drinks? Okay. Uh, uh, In the date, world? Date. date. Favorite, like, uh, you want to impress a date. Uh, what are you going to order? Oh, if I'm impressing a date? Yes. Bitch, I'm ordering Dom Perignon. <laughs> you know who the fuck I am? I'm Logan Browse. I'm ordering Dom Perignon. It's happening. I, 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 you. I, I was thinking more like tequila shots from, from Logan. Oh, what's that one? That, what's that cinnamon one? The cinnamon. Oh, oh, oh the Yeos. Uh, that's very good. That's not a date. I'm not trying to get the date drunk. I'm. No, his his figure fireball. No, no, no. No, we. No. I think collectively as uh, two bartenders and uh, one playgirl interviewee. We would say fireball is disgusting. Yes, I do not really? subscribe to the fireball culture. Is that is that why you always like buy fireball shots for me and my baseball team? Yes, it's to punish. What's worse? What are you say secret hate. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't do fireball. I don't have fireball at the bar. You made fireball. You made fireball. Yeah, I make. I either, I either make fireball or I offer something like like Montenegro or something like an amaro. Like the, it's like easier to drink and it's fun. Amaro's for another episode. 
I think that's rounded up here, guys. Uh, this... Yeah, we're going very long, but it's our densest and most information-filled episode. Yeah, that. guys, we want you to know who we were, and I think uh, you know a little bit more about Anna, you know a little bit more about me, and you know a little bit more about Alan. And Playgirl. And Playgirl. No, goddammit, it's not Playgirl. I told you it was Hustler. <laughs> well, hey, one can dream. We're going to cut this short, but live it up long. Uh, I don't know if that works. Live long and prosper. Then, right, are we going to go to our next segment? And now for a segment that we call Drinks I've Been Drinking. Drinks I've Been Drinking. Anna, what have you been drinking? So I had a delicious milk punch yesterday at the cannery for their Taco Tuesday. You are all the knees bees about the cannery. I know. I'm having like a, a date week with the cannery. I don't know why, but yeah, it's been it's been it's been on my radar. But yeah, I had a delicious chocolate tequila lemon milk punch. We will talk more about milk punch in another episode. I think this one is going a little long, but it was delicious and that's what I've been drinking. What have you been drinking, Logan? Uh well yesterday, Anna, I had a bourbon milk chocolate milkshake. It was called the Grana Milkshake. And I'm realizing how close that sounds like to what your drink was. Oh, yeah. It's also chocolate. Look at that. It's a chocolate type of wheat. Exactly. Love a bear. I love ice cream. I and really do love ice cream. And Alan, what have you been drinking? Well, I've been, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of classy. I'm a classy guy. Oh. Uh, so I've been, uh, one of my favorite Thai restaurants here is um, the Loco. And so every time I go there, I always ask them, hey, you know, well, you know what, what, what's everyone drinking? Um, and I like the I like red, uh, Macho Pucciano, Bruzzi, uh, right. Sancho Vici, a lot, a lot, a lot of nice uh, Italian reds. And, I like a Valabuciello. And, and then uh, I thought he was gonna say Fireball. Just throw it. But, but then when I'm not trying to impress anyone, I, I, I like to go to my favorite Mexican uh, bar slash restaurant and uh, do Fireballs. And what, what, what's that drink again? Um, it's sort of like Bloody Mary. It's a, it's a Mexican. Michelada. Michelada. I like the Michelada. Oh, for Far for July here, we did Micheladas, and I drank too many Micheladas, and it was great. Michelada. And what's the other one? It's kind of a, a cinnamon milky drink. Oh, uh, horchata. Horchata. I like the horchata, too. Horchata. Horchata. Well, you know what? Do, do you serve that? Yeah, we have it every oh, day. Every day? Oh, it's delicious. delicious. Okay, okay. I'm gonna... Rice water goodness. Okay. Hey, listeners at home, uh, guys, we thank you so much for listening to our Wonderful conversations, as always. Ann and I have had a bunch of shots. Alan's on his way to work. And we are trying on the rocks. Thank you so much for listening. Please go on our Instagram, slide in our DMs, send your uh, your critiques, your ideas, your stories, and we'll talk about it in the podcast. Thank you guys so much. Have a great day, evening, or whatever. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>